Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Welcome aboard. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. It's the best beef jerky you've ever had. If you haven't tried it yet, three Edmonton and area locations that you can pick some up from in Leduc, in Spruce Grove, and the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. But if you're not in the local area, you can also order it online through their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Lots to get to in this week's episode. We're going to preview round two in the CHL playoffs. A lot of player signings here now that the NCAA season has wrapped up. Congratulations to Rand Pecknold and uh, Quinnipiac for an exciting championship victory over uh, Bob Motzko and the Minnesota Golden Gophers, if you watched that game last weekend. I thought the the Bobcats were the better team. Uh, Minnesota... Carried the play early in the uh, first period, press, 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 but Quinnipiac uh, weathered the storm, and I thought in the second and the third really limited what the Gophers could do. So uh, full credit uh, to Quinnipiac and to head coach Rand Pecknold. He'd been there for 30 years. That's amazing to uh, finally get that national championship. He's been to the Frozen Four a couple of times before this. Uh, so that is a, uh, a feel-good story. And since then... There's been a lot of player signings, so we'll recap some of that. Uh, but in this uh, first segment, we always like to start with the what's happening in the CHL. And, of course, now we're getting into round two, and that's what we'll be talking about for the most uh, of this week's show. Uh, so what we're going to do in the WHL, OHL, and the Q is just look at the uh, top scores after the first round uh, of the playoffs. And some of these you have to take with a bit of a grain of salt because some series went to seven games. Other guys only played four games. Uh, but in the WHL, everybody knows Connor Bedard is now done with his WHL career unless something really unexpected happens and the team that takes him first overall this summer in the NHL draft decides to send him back to Regina. The chances of that happening, very, very unlikely. He had 20 points in uh, seven playoff games for the Regina Pats. Stanislav Svozil with uh, 13 points. He was second. Igor Sidorov of the Saskatoon Blades had 10 points. And so did Alexander Suzdalev. All four of those players played seven games as their, uh, Regina and Saskatoon went the distance. Then you've got Jagger Furcus, who has 10 points as well. Only did it in four games, though. 
Those are almost Connor Bedard-like numbers when you think of points per game. So the Moose Jaw Warriors uh, have the hot hand right now in Jagger Furcus. Meanwhile, in the OHL, it's the defenseman in Brant Clark who leads the way. He's got 17 points. Matias Sapovalov uh, from the Saginaw Spirit has 15. Uh, Luca Pinelli of the Ottawa 67s with 12. Saginaw Spirit forward Dean Lucas with 11. And uh, Logan Morrison with 10 points. Uh, he plays for the Ottawa 67s. Just signed his uh, pro deal with the Seattle Kraken. Out in the queue, Zachary Dean from the Gatineau Olympics is tied with Etienne Moran of uh, Moncton. Now Gatineau played five games. Moncton went seven and multiple overtimes in their series against Bay Como, including in Game 7. Uh, both of those players with 13 points. Riley Kidney also with the Olympique has 11. Alexander Doucette and Joshua Roy have 10 points each, Halifax and Sherbrooke respectively. We'll get into the uh, Junior A playoffs here in a second. I uh, wanted to mention that the uh, World U18s gets going on the 20th of April. The United States team, we know because we had... Trey Augustine from the uh, U18 squad in the United States, he was on the show last week, said they were leaving for Switzerland on Monday the 10th, so they're over there already. This week, Canada named their coaching staff. Still haven't named a team. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's the 13th. That tournament starts in seven days. And in fact, Canada plays two exhibition games, one on the 16th and one on the 17th. That's three and four days from now, and they don't have a team yet. Uh, You wonder why Canada usually struggles at this tournament and the U.S. is dominant. Well, the U.S. is playing with a roster that's been together for two years. There's no question who is going to be playing for them. It's also why it's not a best on best because Canada's best, a lot of them, won't be in this tournament. A lot of them are still playing in the CHL playoffs. The United States historically dominates the World U18 and it's vice versa for the Holinka Gretzky Cup where Canada, in August, have all of their players available The United States, however, does not send their A-team, the uh, development program. It's the best of the rest, which is still usually pretty good. So we never actually see a best-on-best tournament featuring the 18-year-olds, which is unfortunate. Anyway, Jeff Truitt, who is the head coach of the uh, Prince Albert Raiders, he is going to be behind the bench for Team Canada. All right, the Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs. uh, We're almost to the final now. The Brooks Bandits uh, swept the Blackfalls Bulldogs. In round three, four games to none. And on Friday night, Spruce Grove can move past the Bonneville Pontiacs. They are ahead three games to one in that series. So it seems like just a uh, matter of time now. And it will have Brooks and Spruce Grove in the HHL final yet again. Meanwhile, in the BCHL, they're now into round two, or at least they'll be starting it on Friday. We've got Chilliwack against Nanaimo. Wenatchee, who uh, upset the Cranbrook Bucks in uh, round one. They have to now take on the Penticton Vs. The Vernon Vipers have the Salmon Arm Silverbacks, and uh, Albany Valley goes up against the Surrey Eagles. That's in the BCHL playoffs. Four games left to go for most teams in the USHL. Cedar Rapids looking to claim the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. Muskegon is uh, seven points behind them, so mathematically still able to catch Cedar Rapids, but again, seems like uh, just a matter of time now. Uh, before the Rough Riders clinch that spot. Sioux City is basically in. They've got an eight-point lead over Sioux Falls and Des Moines, but those two clubs separated by just one point. So the final team to get into the playoffs in each conference of the USHL, pretty much all that's left to be decided. And then just seeding. The North American Hockey League, a couple of games left for most teams. 
checking the uh, scoring leaders in the in the null, and it's still David Andrichuk uh, from the Northeast Generals that's uh, leading the way. He's got a healthy lead now, 75 points over over Joey Del Greco from Oklahoma and Hunter Longy in Minot, both with 68. So it looks like David Andrichuk is going to win the scoring race in the North American Hockey League. He's going to Yale. Uh, lastly, the NCAA, and an uh, interesting news note, Binghamton University. Binghamton. That's a hard one for me to say. I don't know why. Binghamton, Binghamton University, home of the Bearcats. Uh, they are eyeing the 2024-25 season to add Division I men's hockey. So that's still a couple of years from now, but yet another Division I program uh, on the horizon. Of course, we get Robert Morris back next year, and Augustana begins playing next year as does Stonehill. So we've got three, well, two new teams and one returnee next year. And as I mentioned, a number of player signings. Uh, I'll go through, uh, I'll go in order of team. And some of these happened in the last few days. Uh, Some of them happened a week or two ago. Uh, But here's an update on uh, which players have left which college team for which NHL program. Uh, Josh Doan leaves Arizona State for Arizona in the NHL. They drafted him. Boston College loses two players so far. Nikito Nestorenko goes to Anaheim, and Trevor Kuntar sticks in Boston with the Bruins. Drew Comesso has left Boston University to join the Chicago Blackhawks. Anton Malmstrom from Bowling Green goes to St. Louis. Hunter McCown from Colorado College is now with the Columbus Blue Jackets. That one happened two or three weeks ago, uh, as did uh, Ryan Teverberg uh, from Connecticut now with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Detroit signed to Carter Mazur from the Denver Pioneers. And Mike Benning has also left Denver now uh, to sign with the Florida Panthers, who drafted him. Sean Farrell, well, he's in Montreal after leaving Harvard. He's already scored a goal. Matt Coronado played uh, with uh, the Calgary Flames recently. And Alex Ferrier has also left Harvard. Wondering about John Farinacci, who uh, missed the start of this season, but wondering if uh, he'll be back with Harvard next season or if he'll be turning pro. Meanwhile, the New Jersey Devils lock up Luke Hughes from Michigan. Eric Portillo uh, goes to the American Hockey League with the LA Kings Farm Club. That's in Ontario. And Mackie Samuskevich has uh, left Michigan after two seasons. He's now he's now with Carolina's farm team. Nick Nardella leaves Michigan Tech for the ECHL. Brock Faber has signed with the Minnesota Wild and has played. Matthew Nyes has done the same with the Toronto Maple Leafs. The both of them were in the NCAA national championship game with minnesota wyatt kaiser has played already like six or seven games for the chicago blackhawks after uh, leaving minnesota duluth free agent signings in nikito hirose signed with uh, vancouver and jake livingstone with nashville they both left uh, minnesota state andre pavel also leaving the mavericks he goes to colorado and uh, defenseman tyler clevin from north dakota well no surprise that he is now with the ottawa senators i think that makes three maybe even four North Dakota defenseman uh, with the uh, Sens organization. Devin Levi off to a good start already with the Buffalo Sabres after leaving Northeastern. Ryder Rolston went from Notre Dame to the Chicago Blackhawks. Jakob Dobish, the uh, import goaltender from Ohio State, now with the Montreal Canadiens. They drafted him. Uh, Mason Lowry and uh, Cole McWard also leave Ohio State. McWard ends up uh, with Vancouver. And uh, Lowry, I believe he's with uh, Boston's farm team in Providence. Brett Berard, no longer with the Providence Friars. He's with the New York Rangers. Uh, goaltender Yaniv Peretz is uh, now with the Carolina Hurricanes. 
after winning a national championship with uh, Quinnipiac. Western Michigan loses three players. Max Sasson now with Vancouver, Aiden Fulp with the Islanders, and Ryan McAllister, freshman extraordinaire, now a member of the Florida Panthers. And of course in Coolman's, this one happened right at the end of a Wisconsin season, so he's uh, no longer a Badger. He's now with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And that is your update everywhere. Uh, we are going to get an update on round two or a preview on round two of the CHL playoffs in the WHL, the OHL, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with three guests that are going to join me. And all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, the Brewery, and the Tap Room, both open to the public in Red Deer. You can go, you can get some uh, exclusive brews that are available just in-house, but you can go to their website at troubledmonk.com. Check out everything that they have to offer that you can place an order ahead of time and pick up there or in Edmonton at the Farmer's Market or in Calgary at the Farmer's Market. Or if you're in Alberta, demand that your local liquor store is supplying your Troubled Monk for you. We're going to start with the Western Hockey League and get a good rundown of what happened in the first round between the Lethbridge Hurricanes and the Moose Jaw Warriors. That's because the voice of the Hurricanes, Dustin Forbes, is going to be my guest. What went wrong for the Hurricanes in round one, but uh, we spend most of the time talking about the four games, the four series that you're going to see in round two. Then we will head to the Ontario Hockey League, and uh, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News is going to be my guest. He's going to tell us about that major upset in round one where the Kitchener Rangers, not only did they beat the number one ranked Windsor Spitfires, but they swept them. What do they have in store for round two? They get to take on the London Knights. Three other really good series in the OHL, too. And we will wrap things up in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. That is Patrick McNeil. Four juggernaut teams. Can any of them be knocked off in the second round? We'll find out when we talk to Patrick. Lots to get to. Let's kick it off, though, with Dustin Forbes of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Back to the blue line, Wilm in the middle, broken up by Zemer, look out. Cohen Zemer, breakaway to Hyde to Zemer, hat-trick! Cohen Zemer, 3-1! This is Cohen Zemer with French George Cougars, and this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. Back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're uh, into the second round of the CHL playoffs. So we're going to go through all three of the CHL leagues, and uh, in this segment, we're going to do the Western Hockey League. Of course, the, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it three locations in Edmonton and area. Or just go to their website, and they will ship it to you anywhere, any order, any size in Western Canada. That's WilhockBeefJerky.com. All right, my guest to look at the second round of the WHL playoffs is the play-by-play voice of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. 
That's Dustin Forbes. Forbesy, welcome back to the show, man. How are you? I'm good, Guy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Uh, well, I appreciate you being available, and that actually sounds terrible because I, I think both of us would <laughs> almost kind of prefer that you weren't available because uh, the Hurricanes would still be playing then. Uh, a tough series against the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, the uh, forensic report on that one, as you look back, what went wrong? You know what? Uh, I, I think the difference in the series, quite honestly, the turning point, if you will, was game one. Uh, the Hurricanes mm-hmm. played such a good first game on the road. They were probably the better team for most of it. And, of course, that game spanned into the 100th minute before Jagger Furka scored a power play goal with 17 seconds left in the second overtime to go up one game to none. And I just don't think the Hurricanes, after that game, were able to... Uh, recollect themselves uh, they they felt like they deserved a better fate in the first game uh, i think personally and, and looking at it objectively and unbiasedly uh, deserved a better result in the first game and they just didn't get it and this was a team all year gee that as you know struggled to to score goals they were Defense first relied on good goaltending and a good defense core, and and the offense kind of came and went in spurts throughout the course of the season. And then after the first game, I mean, they only scored the one goal in the first game, a 2-1 loss, and they just couldn't find their stride, and, and they didn't play the way they needed to play to have success. And credit Moose Jaw. They're a really good team. They got all those guys back and from suspension and they they just really found their groove and the line of Jagger, Furcus, Braden Jagger and Martin Rysavi combined for I think it was 19 or 20 points in the four game series which ended up being a sweep for Moose Jaw so uh, when I look back to that series which ended quicker than most people anticipated I think and, and certainly here in Lethbridge uh, I, I think the first game was just the 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 big dagger because the Hurricanes never really found their way after that. I thought what we saw in game one was what we were going to see for six or seven games. I I, I was shocked that it was over in four. Uh, I thought it was going to be a series where we would see lots of overtime games and, and that it could even go the, the distance. Um, so I was surprised by that. Before we move on to the uh, looking at the four series of round two, uh, your thoughts on three guys who definitely won't be back next year with the Hurricanes because they age out. Uh, Cole Shepard, Jet Jones, and uh, Brian Thompson, who I know has been signed. He's got a pro deal now, so that's awesome. But uh, those three guys, uh, they were really excellent WHL players. I don't know them as people, though. You're obviously uh, a lot closer to it uh, than I am. Uh, your thoughts on those three guys in particular? Yeah, great people, first and foremost. Uh, Cole Shepard, of course, uh, acquired prior to training camp from Vancouver for a third round pick and came in and really was was the offensive leader for the Hurricanes led the team in points uh with 55 had 20 goals and created a lot ran the power play and had ties to Lethbridge because his older brother Jackson played for the Hurricanes back in 2018-2019 so uh Pete Anholt and the staff here knew what Cole would bring and knew what the family would bring and uh, and a really good good human being first and foremost and was a really key contributor for the Hurricanes all season. Um, hoping that maybe he gets an opportunity somewhere at the next level. He, he's a guy that was invited to and made the Vancouver Canucks main camp last year and uh, got into a preseason game with the Canucks. So you hope that that 
Um, that experience in his season with a team that didn't score a lot, as I kind of outlined before, maybe gets him a look somewhere else, uh, at least an invite to camp. Jet Jones uh, was a was a co-captain of the Hurricanes for the last two years, and one of those guys that just was so reliable in every facet of the game. You wanted him to play defense. No one took more face-offs during the regular season than Jet Jones' first penalty kill, uh, blocking shots on the ice when a lead, you know, when you have a lead in the at the end of a game and on the ice when you need a goal at the end of a game. Had a career high with 21 goals and 50 points this season, and just got better. As you know, in junior hockey development isn't always linear you don't always get better season by season but that's what jet jones was able to do and uh he's signed a, a contract at least for the remainder of the season with the echl's savannah ghost pirates <laughs> if there's a team name that you want to look up uh, the savannah ghost pirates so jet's going to play pro uh for the remainder of the season and hopefully that leads into uh, something moving forward uh, to next season, be that ECHL or AHL. And, and then you talk about Brian Thompson. And uh, his story, Guy, is, is, is nothing short of inspiring because you have a highly touted goaltender who was drafted with the pick right after Sebastian Kosa in the prospects draft and was a highly touted pick highly touted goaltender, a second-round pick by the Hurricanes, and um, has kind of dealt with adversity his entire life and career uh, with the Hurricanes through five seasons. Going back to when he was a 16-year-old, he was at Notre Dame, and uh, the Hurricanes had acquired a goaltender who then quit uh, on the team, and Brian had to come in after the deadline in a really awkward and uh, you know unique situation, leaving his uh, U18 team to come and, and back up Carl Tedichuk in his first year. And then in his second year, which was his draft year, he was the backup to Carl Tedichuk. And then COVID happened and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, went through the struggles of that, came back as uh, an 18-year-old for the, the shortened COVID season, still with Carl Tedichuk in the fold. And during that COVID season, his father uh unexpectedly passed away and had to take care of that and then came back as a 19-year-old and really for the first time in his career with the Hurricanes was the undisputed number one guy and basically played the whole season with a, a nagging injury and played well through that. Uh, of course, had the season end last year in a sweep to the Edmonton Oil Kings and then got hip surgery in the offseason, recovered, missed the first half this year came back in November, got hurt again after two games and, and wasn't really supposed to be ready until after the deadline. So there was conversation about what do the Hurricanes do? You can only have the three overagers. Harrison Menigan really established himself as being a number one guy, mm-hmm. finished as a second all-star uh, team member for the Central Division this year. What do you do with Brian? Do you do you move on or do you keep him? Peter Anholz and company decided to keep him, and he had a tremendous second half, finished with a 919 save percentage, uh, ended up finishing as the second winningest goaltender in Hurricanes history behind Stuart Skinner, uh, fifth most in games played by a goaltender, and he's signed a, a two-year deal with the AHL's Texas Stars. So kind of 
a great story of persistence. And the Lethbridge Hurricanes, uh, for those that don't know, always have their year-end awards, and they have an award called the Joan Cobal Memorial Award, and it's for perseverance, dedication, and sportsmanship uh, to the game of hockey. And Brian Thompson won it this year, and just in in my mind was a no-brainer for that. So to see him get rewarded and sign an AHL deal uh, very happy for him, and and hopefully he uh, has a long pro career because as you know, right, he's he's a prototypical goaltender that everybody wants to see, right? Six foot four, athletic, quick. So you hope that he can carve out a, a pro career. So when you look at the three as a whole, uh, your leading scorer, a captain who finished with 21 goals and was your number one center and a number one goaltender, certainly big. Uh, spots to fill for next year but I think the Hurricanes are excited about the core that they have for next year yeah Hurricanes will be back and uh, be even better probably uh, next year and that's uh, that's saying something that's junior hockey though isn't it Dustin and that's what we love about it <laughs> let's look at the uh, Dustin Forbes is my guest by the way voice of the Lethbridge Hurricanes let's get into the second round of the WHL playoffs no upsets in round one so you have the top four seeds in each conference moving on that's obviously exciting well, let's start with that Moose Jaw Warriors series. Uh, now they've got a tough test in the Winnipeg Ice, the number one ranked team in the entire Western Hockey League. Size up this matchup for me, Dustin. Well, two teams that haven't lost yet in the playoffs, yep. both coming off sweep. Of course, uh, Moose Jaw dispatching Lethbridge in four and, and Winnipeg eliminating the Medicine Hat Tigers in four games. So you, you're going to have two teams that are as confident as teams can be, certainly uh, through one round, and 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 Winnipeg has just been so good all year, and they've got so much firepower, and their goaltending is great, led by Daniel Hauser and Mason Bopit, quote unquote backup goalie that is not really a backup goalie and an NHL drafted goalie, so they've got a lot of firepower. Matthew Savoy, Connor Geeky, Zach Benson, the list goes on. Zach Ostopchuk, but. Don't count out Moose Jaw, and maybe it's a recency bias because I saw them for the four games in the Lethbridge Moose Jaw series, but Marco Leary has that team playing a very impressive game, and they run their horses. Uh, the Jagger Ferkuses, uh, the the Ryder Korzaks, Braden Jagger, and defensively Max Wanner and Denton Matejchuk just play almost every other shift. Uh, mm-hmm. No one played more in the four-game series than Denton Matejchuk against the Hurricanes. He, he in the first game, played 46 minutes, of course, the double overtime game, and every game after that was over 26, or at around that 25, 26-minute mark for uh, for the Warriors. Their captain, of course, first-round pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So they really have a good uh, top-end level of talent and and then their second pair of Lucas Brenton and Logan Dohaniak was really good in the uh, in the Lethbridge series and and Connor Unger was was fantastic in goal so um I would if you were asking me to predict who would win this series I think eventually cream rises to the top and I think Winnipeg likely would rise to the top in that series, but I, I do certainly like the way that Moose Jaw is playing right now. So I, I think that's going to be a fun series to watch. So many talented players uh, and and a lot of high end guys that the hockey is going to be exceptional. I, I want to point out something that maybe casual uh, listeners right now maybe they don't follow the WHL 
as closely as we do. But Jagger Furkus had Connor Bedard-like numbers in the first round. Bedard ends up with 20 points in seven games. Furkus has got 10 points in just four games. That's just shy of uh, those same numbers. He is absolutely on fire. And then you got Matthew Savoy, who's got nine points in four games. So this could be a pretty high-scoring offensive series. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and Jagger Furkus, I, I mean, he, he was just lights out in the four games against the Hurricanes. You mentioned the 10 points and had two game-winning goals uh, out of the four games. So he's really feeling it right now, second-round pick of the Seattle Kraken. And, and I talked about that line before, uh, him on a line with Braden Yeager, who probably is a top 15, maybe a top 10 pick in the upcoming draft, and Martin Rysavvy, who's a selection of the Columbus Blue Jackets as well. That line is rolling right now for the Moose Jaw Warriors. And uh, it'll be interesting. You, you Quite often when you have a team that comes off a sweep, you, you talk about the rust versus rest factor. <laughs> yeah. But that can be discussed with both these teams because they both had a week off or a week. it'll be a week and two days before they open up the series. So uh, because both of them eliminated their first round opponents on the same night. So uh, we'll see which team comes out in game one and, and finds their stride early because, uh, as you said, it could be a, a uh, an old style run and gun, high octane type series between Moose Jaw and Winnipeg. And the winner of that series will take on the winner between Saskatoon and Red Deer and uh, the, the Blades. As we're speaking right now, it's Tuesday. The Blades just wrapped up their series against the Pats on Monday, so last night in a uh, pretty exciting game. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that, or if you're on no, somewhat vacation mode, or if you're taking a step back from the WHL or not. I'm not sure about that, Forbesy, but the Saskatoon Blades in the Red Deer series, that could be a pretty entertaining one as well, couldn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think, and to answer your kind of first question there, I did watch a bit of uh, games. I watched the second half of the Pats and and Blades Game 7, and uh, that was such a great series, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, that problem, I mean, you look around the Western Hockey League, and, and only one other series went to six games, and that was Prince George and Tri-City. There were four sweeps in the first round, and two series that ended in five games, with Red Deer eliminating Calgary in five games, and then you had the, the premier series, if you will, out of it all with Saskatoon, having to go to seven with the Regina Pats, and you mentioned what Connor Bedard did and, and what he's done all season has been nothing short of uh, spectacular. And 20 points in seven games in, in a playoff series is just insanity. But that series, I think, is going to be... You, you talk about Winnipeg and Moose Jaw being potentially a high-scoring, puck-possession, flow-type game. I think the, the Saskatoon and Red Deer series is going to be a hard series physical series uh red deer plays that type of game uh they've always kind of seemingly played that type of game with whether it was brent sutter who was coaching now it's steve Kanawalchuk and uh kaylin lind is the type of player that just is the the type of player you hate to play against yes but one of the first guys you'll take on your team because he's the heartbeat of the red deer rebels and ben king is back from injury so uh red deer really starting to find their groove and we'll see you mentioned the the rest versus rust factor red deer has been resting where saskatoon had to grind out a seven game series does that impact the blades in round two against a a red deer team that's going to be you know having had a week off and in preparation for 
that best-of-seven series in the second round, and uh, it'll be interesting. The one thing there is, of course, Saskatoon will get home ice advantage Mm -hmm. in that series. Even though Red Deer finishes the two-seed, they won the Central Division, but Saskatoon had more points during the regular season, so the Blades will have home ice advantage in that best-of-seven with Red Deer. So uh, two great series in the Eastern Conference that uh, certainly will, even though the Lethbridge Hurricanes have been eliminated. We'll have my eyes on for sure. I know the team across the uh, on the other side of the ice is the biggest challenge, uh, but for Saskatoon, it's also you know you just come off a, a big emotional series, a long emotional series against Regina. You have to keep that same uh, pace and attitude and performance, that high level intensity for another series, and maybe even have to take it higher. That's got to be an awful uh, uh, hard thing to do for a team. If you're going to have success, you got to do that. And maybe I'm wondering if that's the biggest challenge for Saskatoon is just to keep that emotion level uh, and take it to another level here against Red Deer. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because you have a team that went to Game 7 and had to have that emotion. Can they just build off of that? Or is there that letdown where right. you know you have that emotional high of winning a Game 7 on home ice in front of a raucous crowd at Saskatoon Centre and do do you have a drop for what will be a game one of a second series? I, I know Lethbridge, when they went to the conference final back in 2017, they had a, a hard-fought series against Red Deer where they came back from three-one uh, a 3-1 deficit and won in game seven and had to reset for a series against Medicine Hat, which they eventually won in a seven-game series as well. And, and early on in that series, you could see a bit of a dip, um, until they ended up kind of getting their groove again midway through the series. So uh, certainly an interesting conversation. I, I, I know both coaches, Steve Konowalczyk for Red Deer, a pro guy who's coached and, of course, played in the NHL and won a championship with Seattle uh, in the last, what, half decade or so. So uh, the Rebels will be prepared, and Brennan Sonny's done such a terrific job in his two seasons with the Blades, uh, yeah. over 100 points this season, and they'll be prepared. And uh, he, he's a he's a very astute type coach and, and a really smart individual and uh, always nice to talk to him, but he'll have his team ready to go. So uh, the one thing that I, I'm kind of interested about that series, you, if you look at the Winnipeg Moose Jaw series, it's Daniel Hauser versus Connor Unger. That's going to be the goaltending matchup. What do you get in the Red Deer Saskatoon series? Because mm-hmm. all four goaltenders were used in the first first round, right? Like Chase Coward and, and Kyle Kelsey both played for Red Deer, and you had Austin Elliott and uh, Ethan Chadwick both play for Saskatoon. So that'll be an interesting uh, side part, if you will, for that series for me is just to watch the goaltending uh, distribution for both teams. All right, Dustin, we've gone a long time. We've still got two more series to get to, so let's get out to the West Conference. Uh, you got Seattle against Prince George and Kamloops, the Memorial Cup host, taking on the Portland Winterhawks. These, again, could be two excellent, outstanding series. Uh, let's start with Seattle, though. Uh, for me, they were they were my pick to win the WHL back in September, and I still think they're the best team in, in the league, uh, but the Prince George Cougars seem to have been uh, firing on all cylinders down the stretch, and and into the playoffs, uh, how do you size up this matchup? Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think Seattle's got to be the favorite in that series. I mean, what, they have 9, 10, 11 NHL-drafted players. They have a guy that played half a season in the NHL this year with a guy that you know well in in, in uh, Dylan Gunther. Uh, I think that they're 
the favorite, but I wouldn't count out Prince George. For some reason, Prince George, to me, just seems like one of those destiny teams for some reason. They just seem to be able to to find the next step when they need it. And uh, Chase Wheatcroft, who's a former Lethbridge Hurricane, had a, such a great season. Yeah. Uh, scored the overtime winner to send Prince George to the second round for the first time in 16 years, if you can imagine. They hadn't been out of the first round since 2007. Uh, and and I know watching a bit of that game and seeing the highlights, uh, just great to see hockey and the Prince George Cougars live again uh, and, and have that life in Prince George. That building was rocking. So don't count out the Prince George Cougars because I feel like they do have something going there that's special and a lot of good players uh, and, of course, a great coach and GM and Mark Lamb, who's a Stanley Cup winner. So, uh but if I had to choose, I would say Seattle's the favorite in the series for sure. And I know this is another series where both teams basically have uh, used both goaltenders uh, throughout the course of the season. Now Prince George has played both in the playoffs. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not sure if – I don't think Seattle has, though. I think Thomas Millich has played all four uh, for the Thunderbirds. But goaltending could be a good story here in this series too. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, two NHL drafted p- goaltenders for – uh, for Prince George and, and Tyler Brennan and Ty Young, who's a Coaldale product near Lethbridge here, uh, who I think played the bulk of the series for the Cougars in that first round, at least certainly played game six, the game that they uh, were able to eliminate Tri-City. In. And, and then Seattle, I mean, Thomas Millich, uh, undrafted, but world junior champion, was mm-hmm. the starter for the Canadian team that won gold. And uh, Ratzlaff is supposed to be a high pick for the upcoming draft so uh four really good goaltenders in that series and and see what matt odette for seattle and mark lamb for prince george decide to do as that series progresses how much value do you put on experience because uh the uh, t-birds went out and they they grabbed uh, luke prokop and dylan gunther both whl champions here uh, so they've been there and of course seattle was the other team in the finals last year so they've anybody who was with them last year is is back again uh, and that experience, in my opinion, could be a difference maker. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think experience really becomes a factor later in a playoff series when you get to games where you have an opportunity to close out an opponent or extend a series. That's where uh, that aspect, I think, really takes over. And uh, as you said, I mean, you, you've got so much experience on that Seattle team with a large part of the court going and losing to Edmonton last year and then adding two of the players that uh, beat them last year in Prokop and Gunther and, and then just the uh, large collection of the world junior talent that's on that team as well. I, I think that'll be certainly a factor uh, in that series should it go deeper, 5-6-7, uh, certainly. All right, and the other series is the Kamloops Blazers against the Portland Winterhawks, and uh, for my money, that Blazers team is uh, has been really good all season, but got a lot better at the trade deadline, the, the addition of uh, Olin Zellweger, and not just him, uh, but Ryan Hofer as well plays a key role for them. That's such a deep team. I like Portland. I don't think I like them to beat Kamloops, though. You? Yeah, I agree again. I hate to agree with you so much, but <laughs> <laughs> I do agree. I mean, Portland's had such a great season. Uh, they kind of were the 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 team that kind of went under the radar in the Western Conference. You had Seattle and Kamloops who had great years, and then all of a sudden there was just Portland there that had such a tremendous 
regular season and were able to get through uh, the Everett Silvertips in five games. Uh, but I, I, again, I think especially at junior hockey, at this level, cream rises to the top, and Kamloops is loaded. And you mentioned Olin Zellweger, who had just such a remarkable season and was going at a clip that we haven't really seen from a defenseman of the WHL after joining Kamloops after the World Juniors. And um, for for Kamloops, they really got a, a bite of playoff hockey in that last game against Vancouver. I mean, you look at they swept the Giants in the first round, but... 8 nothing, 6-1, 5 nothing. Like that's a pretty easy start outscoring your opponent 19 to 1 in the first 3 <laughs> games. But then all of a sudden you get an overtime game and they had to to win an overtime game on the road to close out the Giants. So they got a bit of a a taste of what playoff hockey's all about whereas the the Portland series with Everett was a little bit tighter, uh, and so Portland's played a little bit more playoff-style hockey. Does that help them come the series with the Kamloops Blazers? It might. Uh, I think Portland will do what they do. If they do have any success, it'll be on the back of their goaltender, uh, Dante Gianuzzi, who, of course, is the overager. So um, I still think Kamloops is the team to beat there, and uh, I, I know that you know talking with John Keane, of course, and and people out in Kamloops, uh, they definitely want to go in the front door and not be the Memorial Cup host that slides in through the back door. And, yeah. and I know talking with Don Hay when Kamloops was on their their west uh, eastern or central division east coast trip uh, a couple of months ago, he had discussed that about really wanting to be a team that gets there on their own merit and so far so good at least through a round but that's a tough test with Portland they've had a really kind of surprisingly good season down there in in the Rose City so it should be a good series to watch that uh, Kamloops power play is ridiculous Thir- over 30 uh, percent in the regular season we you got Stankoven and Bankier and Seminoff and Minton and Connor Levis Kyle Masters has had a terrific season uh, in Kamloops uh, after going there from the Red Deer Rebels as kind of a two-way, almost more defensive-minded player, he's really come out uh, with his offensive numbers. And then you add Olin Zellweger to that that mix. Uh, that power play is just uh, unbelievable. Well, they snap it around so well, don't they? I mean, when you got guys like that that are all so talented on their own right, and then you put them together, uh, it like the pucks on a string uh and you mentioned olin zellweger i mean 32 goals 80 points in 55 games a defenseman yeah uh and just crazy talented and uh had nine power play goals and uh, on the regular season so special teams uh always a factor but even more so it's it's like very very heightened come the playoffs isn't it it is totally uh all right dustin we went a long time uh, other news with the Lethbridge Hurricanes uh, with Peter Anholt. Uh, he's got a great gig coming up here with Hockey Canada. Before I let you go, maybe just uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah, super happy for for Peter. I mean, he's he's worked so hard. He's been such a a, a long state elder statesman, if you will, in the Western Hockey League. And uh, for him to get the chance to to lead the World Junior Team as uh, the management lead for the tournament coming up in in December and January in in Gothenburg. Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, and I know he's excited about that because 
in all of his years, he's never been to Sweden, so he's excited about that opportunity. But uh, did such a great job with the U18 team last summer in Red Deer that that captured gold in Red Deer. So the logical next step would be the U20 level. And uh, I know he's excited about the challenge. And, and I know him and Alan Miller, who, of course, is uh, part of that group as well with Hockey Canada, uh, have already started to do their scouting for what a team could look like for next year. And, of course, they'll have the summer camp coming up at uh, some point during the summer in Calgary to really put together a, a list of 40 or 50 players that they'll, they'll eventually whittle down to. And uh, I can I can I think it's safe to say, Guy, they probably won't have Connor Bedard at the tournament. <laughs> But everybody can hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Forbes, man, this was great. Uh, you're one of the best play callers in the WHL and uh, always a treat when you're on the program. Thanks for making the time. All right, buddy. Anytime. That was the lovely and talented Dustin Forbes, the uh, play-by-play man, longtime voice now of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to uh, Dustin call a game, does a fantastic job, really entertaining. In fact, the uh, package that Lethbridge puts together for their highlights and stuff like that, you can check that out on the WHL's website. Really great professional package, and uh, Forbes, he calls one hell of a game. Well, I think we agreed. I didn't actually get a prediction from him on the Red Deer and Saskatoon series. I think he and I are picking the same teams, though, in the other series. I think we're picking Winnipeg and Kamloops and Seattle. To me, if there's going to be an upset in uh, this second round, it might be the Saskatoon Red Deer series. Saskatoon has home ice advantage, but they've got the least amount of rest. Now it's been, it'll be four days since they've played. Real different matchup, though, uh, the going up against the Rebels than it was against Regina. And there is that whole, can you get back, go up the mountain again emotionally, not just physically, and be having played a seven-game series, maybe physically as well. It's still early in the playoffs, though, so I don't think a team is exhausted yet. But there might be some reasons to think that Red Deer could get on Saskatoon early. And if they can get one, if they can get a split in Saskatoon going back to Red Deer, might be a tough series for the Blades. That said, that's a really good Saskatoon Blades team. For large parts of that series against Regina, they dominated. I don't know if they'll be able to do that against Red Deer, but I think it's going to be a a highly entertaining series. Actually, I'd actually love to go down to Red Deer for a couple of those games, games three and four, next Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe. Might have to call uh, Andrew Peart and see if he wants to carpool. Maybe Les Lazarek needs a color guy. Give me a call, Les. All right, next up, we're going to go to the Ontario Hockey League. Tony Ferrari, who is uh, writing with the Hockey News and also doing the OHL's podcast for the Hockey News, he is going to be detailing the uh, matchups in the OHL's second round. Uh, also to come is the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. We'll leave that for the final segment this week. Uh, but Tony Ferrari in the OHL, that's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. And after to see you on the one-timer, fired it off the end boards. Here's Ekblad again, takes the shot, scores! A four-goal night for Aaron Ekblad! Hi, it's Aaron Ekblad from the Barry Colts, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. 
The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. He fights like an old lady. Well, the WHL is done, and we move on to the Ontario Hockey League, where we had probably the biggest upset in the first round of the CHL playoffs. Reminder, The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Go to willockbeefjerky.com. You can get your order any size, anywhere, shipped to you in Western Canada, which means my next guest, uh, unfortunately... Sorry, Tony, but uh, you can't get any beef jerky from me right now. Tony Ferrari from uh, the Hockey News is my guest. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me, Guy. Uh, pleasure to get a chance to speak with you again. And uh, maybe we'll start with uh, that big upset in round one. And I don't know, maybe I'm making too much of it, but the Windsor Spitfires were the number one ranked team in the uh, Western Conference of the OHL. Not only did they lose to Kitchener, but Kitchener swept them in the first round. And to me, that's a huge upset. But you're a lot closer to it than I am. Uh, what did you think of that series and the way it ended up? Yeah, I'm actually in Windsor, so I was able to kind of see it all firsthand. And it, it was upsetting. It was a, a, a bad, bad loss for Windsor, getting swept by the eighth seed. As the number one seed, you never want to see that happen. But at the end of the day, I think, from the Kitchener point of view, this was a team that was supposed to be way, way better than they are. They have such a good team. They brought so many guys in throughout the season. They should have been a higher seed. They just couldn't seem to get it together at all at all towards throughout the season. They started to kind of figure it out towards the end of the season towards the end of the season last five, ten games or so. And then coming in, I think they were the team no one wanted to play, whether it was Windsor, London, or, or Barry or anyone else at the top of that conference. No one really wanted to play that Kitchener team because they had so much talent and some of the most drafted prospects in the OHL. On the flip side, Windsor sold a lot they've got a lot of guys in brought Shane right in obviously who was the guy that was supposed to be a big get for them and at the end of the day it just didn't work out uh, the guys that they brought in didn't show up Shane Wright had kind of a bad series Matt Maggio who led the OHL in scoring this year was kind of underwhelming in his own right at the end of the day I think it was just poor timing for Windsor and Kitchener getting it together at the right spot well, we're going to preview the second round of the OHL playoffs. Maybe we'll start with the Kitchener series. Uh, they're going up against the London Knights now, and that would be the next uh, number one, or I guess the number two ranked team in the conference at the start of the playoffs. This is just a great junior hockey rivalry, isn't it, between uh, the London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers? This one goes back a long ways. Yeah, this is a really, really fun series. These two teams, anytime they get together, is a really good matchup, and, and this should be a good matchup for the second round. Like, like I said, this Kitchener team is extremely talented for an eighth seed, maybe one of the more talented eighth seeds we've ever really seen in terms of raw talent on paper. But this London night team has been a beast, especially in the second half of the year. So this should be a pretty good matchup. All right. Well, who's got the advantage and why? I mean, statistically, it looks like London, they also have home ice advantage, but it didn't seem to matter in the first net round for uh, for Kitchener. And sometimes I think you get arch rivals like this uh, together and you can kind of throw the standings into the garbage. Uh, because it doesn't really matter all that much. But when you put these rosters head-to-head, side-by-side, you know, who's got the goalie advantage and the maybe the be- better power play, I don't know, special teams comes into play. But when you do a tail of the tape between these two clubs, do you still come out with London? 
I do personally. I think the the it's going to be a goalie battle in this series. I think Brett Brochu, who recorded two shutouts in the first round, is going to be really, really just gunning to get an OHL championship in his last year of eligibility in the OHL. I think Marco Constantini, who led the Bulldogs to the championship last year, played a big role in that first round series against Windsor. Is going to be a big uh, role for Kitchener in the second round. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I think. Francesco Pinelli is going to be suspended the first two games of the series. The Kitchener's captain, he's going to miss those first two games, and, and that might be end up be what ends up costing the Kitchener Rangers because he is one of their best players, if not their best forward. And when you take him out of the lineup, the forward ranks become a little bit more evenly matched. I think Kitchener does have the better group in terms of raw talent. I think London's got a bit better depth, and on the blue line, they're a little bit more stout. So I think that's where the advantage for London comes in. Who leads the attack for the London Knights? Uh, Sean McGurn's uh, one of the best players for that team right now. They're really good. He's a really good offensive player. Kind of developed his two-way game this year. And then the, the, the Twin Towers is what they, they've been calling them in the London right now in terms of uh, Denver Barkey and, and Jared Cowan. And they've just been really fun to watch this year. A lot of skill on that uh, the group up front. They have a really deep team. So it's not like a team that we've seen in the past from London where they have one or two guys at the top that are just really, really just beast, it's going to be kind of a death-scoring uh, group for that team. I know there'll be a lot of name recognition with Logan Mayhew just because of the off-ice stuff and uh, certainly around the uh, the draft with the Montreal Canadiens. How's he been as a player, though, with, with the Knights? Uh, Logan Mayhew's been Logan Mayhew, I think. He's a really good offensive defenseman. Straight-ahead speed, outstanding uh, on the ice. This is a kid that can score kind of at will at times defensively he still needs to work on some things he needs to kind of work on diversifying his offensive attack because it's very much just go straight ahead attack and hope for the best but at times it's kind of questionable his decision making still he's going to be a guy that scores at the ohl level it's going to be about rounding things out as he moves up in the ranks tony ferrari is my guest he's uh with the hockey news and one of the hosts of the uh the ohl podcast that you guys do for the hockey news and your partner in crime, Brock Ott, and I think, uh, if I recall correctly, he was uh, talking very highly of the Sarnia Sting going into the playoffs, and in the second round, they're going up against the Saginaw Spirit. Uh, size up that matchup for me. This is going to be one, maybe my favorite favorite matchup of the playoffs so in the second round. Sarnia's a really, really good team. They brought in a lot of guys, too. They've got Sasha Pashadov, Ty Boyd, and Luka Dubel-Belouz, who are all really skilled forwards and really, can really produce up front for that team. Nolan Burke's been really outstanding for them. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch because this is a, a, a series that could go either way with Saginaw not really having a whole lot to lose. I think they're looking towards next year, mm-hmm. but with guys like Matthew Sapovalov and, and, and exceptional uh, talent, Michael Misa, they've got guys that can score and they've got guys that can keep up. Zane Parikh's been outstanding on the Saginaw blue line, especially since uh, Pavel Minchukov was traded to Ottawa. He's been able to take on more of an offensive and puck moving role. So this is going to be a really, really good matchup, I think. And like you said, they're playing with house money in Saginaw. Their their focus is for next year, but every little bit of experience they can get from this year's playoffs, that's just a bonus for them, isn't it? Yeah, that's just it, right? The team's really young. They've got a lot of talent, but like I said, looking forward to next year. So a guy like Michael Misa, he, if he can get this series to, to seven games, if he can possibly push this, this team to a, a conference final, that's going to be huge for them next year when they're hosting the Memorial Cup and hopefully making a, a run at the OHL championships on their own. It's going to be a really fun series because this team is so young and talented. They really play this loose game where it's just 
running gun hockey. Not always the most productive in the playoffs, but boy, is it fun to watch. And it's a veteran goaltender uh, battle here between Tristan Lennox and uh, Ben Goudreau, no? Tristan Lennox has been really good this year. I think he's been a guy that people have kind of forgotten about a little bit since his draft year. He had it went in really highly touted that year and then kind of struggled and got drafted a little later than people were expecting, but he's been pretty solid this year for the Saginaw Spirit. And then as for Ben Goudreau, he struggled really hard in the first half of the year, mm-hmm. went to the World Juniors and wasn't quite able to, to take over the way he thought he was going to didn't end up finishing that tournament as a starter but since coming back he's really really improved his game rounded everything out kind of figured things out and that's what's driven Sarnia to be the number three seed in the conference and honestly I think that could be the differentiating factor in the series and if Ben Goudreau can continue playing like he has he really could be the the reason for Sarnia to kind of take the series. I know previous conversations I've had with uh, people on the show about the OHL playoffs they're looking at London and Sarnia potentially as a as a matchup for the uh, the conference final. And the way that there was an upset in the first round, that means that they actually could still meet in the conference final. Do you see that uh, playing out that way? Yeah, I, I do see those two teams kind of ending up in the conference final. I think the London-Kitchener series is going to be a deep one. I think that's going to be a, a six- or seven-game series. In the Sarnia-Saginaw one, I, I think that ends up being a little bit of a shorter series. Five or six games, I think Sarnia takes it. I think they just have too much offensive firepower to overcome them. All right. Well, in the uh, Eastern Conference, it's the Ottawa 67s. They've been the number one team in the OHL pretty much from wire to wire this year. Uh, they've got the Peterborough Peets in the first round who swept the Sudbury Wolves. Um, this one, again, on paper, it looks like it should be fairly simple for Ottawa. But Peterborough's playing some pretty good hockey. Yeah, it's, this is a fun series. I think it, it's going to be Ottawa that probably takes it at the end of the day. But I think Peterborough's going to be able to give them a bit more of a run for their money. Peterborough, like Kitchener, is another one of those teams that never quite got it together this, throughout this season. I think they brought in a lot of guys, Brennan Austin um, among them, that weren't quite meshing. Owen Beck, another one, that they couldn't quite figure out their roles. And now that they're in the playoffs, they're starting to play that playoff hockey. And, and that's really what's kind of made the difference for them. They swept Sudbury in the first round. It, it's this kind of style of game that they're able to play now that the playoffs are rolling around. And it's the, the game's slow down a bit, become a little bit more chunky, and that's the kind of game that they thrive in right now. And Ottawa is just a juggernaut team in the OHL right now. They have so many good players. Logan Morrison, who's the OHL playoff MVP last year, is absolutely dominant still. He's not a guy that I think you're going to have to worry about whether or not he's going to produce. Luke Finelli, who's a, a draft-eligible kid this year, it, it was just dominant in the first round, 12 points. Just this Ottawa team has so many guys up and down the lineup. And then you look on the back end, They've got Henry Muse, who's a young 16-year-old player who's absolutely outstanding. Calvin Minchukov, who's the best defense in the OHL or second best behind Brian Clark. This is a really loaded team. And at the end of the day, I think that's what's going to be the, the difference between these two teams. No team is perfect, though. If there is a weakness for Ottawa or something that, uh, whether it's Peterborough or maybe in the next round, that a team can exploit, what, what would that area be, do you think, for Ottawa? I think it's just the goalie situation. I think the fact that they kind of go back and forth between two guys, they don't really have a guy that's taking over and being the guy could be the, the difference for them. Hmm. At the end of the day, though, I, I think that's really the only thing that the, that you're complaining about. And I think at the, with, with that said, they have two guys who can do a pretty serviceable job. All right, well, some pretty good series in the second round, but I don't know if there's going to be a better one than North Bay against the Barry Colts. Uh, these are two teams not separated by all that much in the OHL uh, regular season. 
Uh, and anyway, you've got Barry with, uh, with, as you just mentioned, Brant Clark, uh, the, probably the best defenseman in the OHL, leading the playoffs in scoring. And, uh, on the other side, North Bay's got Matvey Petrov and, uh, Kyle McDonald. There's, there's a lot of talent on the ice here. This might be a coin flip for this, uh, this series. Yeah, this series really is a coin flip. I think these are two of the best teams in the OHL. It, it's going to be so fun to watch because you have Brant Clark who, realistically, if he he makes a deep run in this playoffs, he could set the OHL record for scoring by a defenseman. He's already just about halfway there, just after round one. So this kid's been absolutely on fire, even with the one-game the one game suspension for me. I, I think North Bay's a really, really good team, though. Kyle McDonald's been outstanding this year. Magic Petrov's been fantastic. They've got a lot of guys on that team. But that that Barry team has a lot of firepower in their own right. Ethan, Ethan Cardwell, guys like Evan Veerling, they've got a lot of on that team it's going to be a tough series though i think that's going to be the fun part i think this is probably the game that leans in my opinion at least leans towards going to the seven games uh who do you favor is is there an advantage in one regard or another i i mean i don't recognize the name of barry's goaltender and anson thornton um i don't know that that doesn't necessarily mean that he's uh you know not up to the task but at least dom divincensis i've heard of uh, a late uh, draft pick i believe by the winnipeg jets but is there a goaltender advantage here for one side or the other? Yeah, I think that there definitely is a goaltender advantage here. Uh, Don Dubinchen then maybe the best goalie in the entire OHL this year. He's been absolutely fantastic. The Anthony Thornton, he's been perfectly fine. He's been serviceable. I think that's going to be the difference in this series is, is can Don Dubinchen take over the series? Like he's taken over so many games throughout the season. He's, we do a three-star segment on Brock and I's podcast when we cover the OHL and Dom DiVincenzis always seems to find his way in there at least every other week. It's been remarkable how good he's been this year. So he he's certainly going to be the difference maker. It's basically going to be, is, is Brant Clark going to be able to score on Dom DiVincenzis to eliminate his advantage in goal? Or is Dom DiVincenzis going to be able to shut down that very attack that's so potent? And home ice advantage, is it when teams are this close in the standings, is that maybe a potentially deciding factor as well? I'm not sure if one team is really dominant at home compared to the other or not, though. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. Anytime you, you go to a seven-game series and, and you go in, especially when it's this tight, if you go to seven games, that home ice advantage is always nice because you're in your hometown, you're in your the place where you're comfortable, your home rink, you know the bounces off the boards, you know how everything's going to play out, and you have the crowd behind you. So it, it's going to be an advantage for North Bay, and it's going to be a really fun series. This could really be the best series of the entire OHL playoffs. Well, really looking forward to it. It all gets going. Uh, well, the OHL always starts, it seems like, on a Thursday, and that's uh, Kitchener and London going on a Thursday this week. Uh, Tony, what do you guys have uh, coming up at the Hockey News for yourself and uh, for the podcast? Uh, this week we've got a bunch more OHL preview stuff, uh, playoff preview stuff, a little bit deeper on each of these series with Brock and I on the THN on the O show. Uh, make sure you check that out. And then for me, you can cover find all my NHL draft coverage and, and whatnot at, at the Hockey News and, and on my Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. Outstanding. Tony, as always, man, really appreciate your time. No problem. Anytime, Guy. Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News, uh, previewing the second round of the Ontario Hockey League playoffs. If you agree with uh, his picks or my picks or both, uh, let us know. You can let us know if you disagree, too. Uh, find us on Twitter. You can find me at TPS underscore Guy, and he gave his uh, Twitter handle at the end of that interview as well. So uh, terrific to catch up with Tony once again. We got one more segment to go this week. Patrick McNeil, the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles, he's going to be our guide to the second round of the playoffs in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. 
That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Down there by Zaboral. Puck comes free. Ward's clearing play to the line. It skips out to center. Valeno trying to break shorthanded. Joe Valeno, penalty coming. Valeno deking, scores! Joe Valeno, shorthanded goal! Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. from Buford loves Wilhawk beef jerky. My husband is an expressive <gasps> fan, prone to waving his arms about, which is unfortunate for those next to him. And the snacks. Do you know how hard it is to get salsa out of carpet? It was a miracle when I found Wilhawk beef jerky. No more crushed chips strewn about or toppled dips. A fistful of jerky can be waved about with little mess to clean up later. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung pop. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show. we got one final segment to go this week as we've gone across the Canadian Hockey League uh, previewing round two of the playoffs. And our next stop is in the queue. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. That is Patrick McNeil. Uh, Pat, welcome back to The Pipeline Show. How are you? Doing well, Guy. Obviously, would like to be getting ready to call the second round, but at least there's still exciting playoff action to watch around the CHL. So, looking forward to that and seeing how everything unfolds. All right. Well, let's uh, before we get to the second round, maybe a quick reflection of what went wrong for Cape Breton against Halifax. Now, the the Mooseheads were the uh, much higher seed and the heavy favorites in that series, so it kind of played out the way most people expected. Uh, but uh, what, what did you think of the way the Eagles played in the series? Well, in terms of what went wrong, having to play Halifax was probably the biggest problem. The Eagles didn't get off to the start they wanted in the regular season, and I don't know the exact stat, but I think they were tied for fifth in the regular season. They were tied for fifth in the second half of the standings in the queue, so they did finish strong. A part of that was scheduling, but they ultimately just came one point short of being able to move up to sixth seed in the East, which I think was a, a bit of a detriment. As for the series against Halifax, it was a weird one because they outshot the Mooseheads in game one, but Halifax won 4-1, so there were full marks for that. Game two, the Eagles were up 3 nothing. Halifax tied it late in the third period on a goal that a lot of people feel was kicked in, and then the game-winning goal in overtime was also reviewed for goalie interference. So it was interesting because... The team in Cape Breton has been rebuilding the last few years, so attendance has taken a bit of a beating, plus with COVID and whatever. So there was a substantial increase, despite the fact they lost the first two games, because both games, they could have arguably come home up to nothing, having outshot them the first game and then leading 3 nothing in the second game. But unfortunately, with the big crowd for Game 3, it was the worst game of the series. They're up one nothing after the first period. Halifax ends up winning 8-2. So that was a tough one. That was the only blow to the series. The fourth game... It's tied at two. Eagles have a five-on-three power play. They decide to put five forwards out there. Halifax is the two leading goal scorers shorthanded in the league out there. And Josh Lawrence and Alex Doucette, they score three on five. That's the game winner. So a weird series to evaluate in that overall a sweep is a sweep. But individually, game by game, there were lots of things you could take from it. I think ultimately, especially with the way the Moncton Bay Camo series played out, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure, probably the biggest regret is not 
getting up to sixth place, especially since there were some losses on the road, particularly against uh, weaker teams in the queue that kind of cost them. I look back to a Wednesday loss in Charlottetown, and Charlottetown had played the night before. They played a pair of games in St. John, and if the Eagles had got even one point out of that set, that would have given them the sixth seed. But it is what it is, and uh, you know there was some excitement coming home for Game 3 at least, and we did see some exciting games against Halifax, but just wasn't to be this season. Patrick, uh, the cyclical nature of junior hockey, a team can be a contender one year and, you know, three years later they might be last place in the league and you go back up and down the, the standings like that on a regular rotation. Where's Cape Breton in that cycle? Well, Cape Breton, you know, in a lot of ways is probably, if you wanted to define it as a three-year cycle, they'd be in year one. If you wanted to define it as a four-year cycle, it'd be year two. Team has been really vocal about wanting to contend in 2025. This year, they had three first-round picks. Thomas DeRousseau, one of those picks, ends up getting traded away, but they did get a strong 18-year-old in Jacob Newcomb, who would be a 20-year-old in that projected 2025 year. Thomas Lavoie was the top pick in the Q draft. He had a really strong finish to the season. You know, He's going to be an excellent defenseman in this league. So they're really, I think, looking at that 2025 year as the year to really make some noise. But next year, the team should take a step forward, too, so that should be pretty exciting because it was tough coming out of the COVID year. There was really five strong teams that 2019-2020 season, and the Eagles were one of those teams. So they had a bit of difficulty rebuilding from that. But I think next year is when you're finally going to start to see things turn the corner because I think that's the expectation. That's when you have an over 500 team. So look forward to that for sure. All right, perfect. Well, we will definitely look forward to that. Now let's get to the second round and we might as well keep going with Halifax. As you mentioned, the Moncton and a Bay Como series was a good one. It went the distance, seven games and overtime in game seven. That's pretty thrilling. So you've got Halifax who is sitting there well-rested and Moncton, who was the last team in the entire CHL to advance to the second round. Um, so it's uh, rested against uh, maybe a little tired. It's early in the playoffs. I don't know how tired uh, these guys are at this point, but uh, size up this matchup for me. To me, I think Halifax had a best-case scenario with that first round against Cape Breton because in the queue, there's really four strong teams heading into the playoffs, mm-hmm. and Halifax looked to be the most vulnerable because because of the way the Eagles finished the second half. So I think it was best case for Halifax because individually, with the exception of that game three, they were pushed in each of those games, but they still got the maximum amount of rest. Not only did Moncton go seven games, they actually set a Q record for the most overtime games in a series. Five OT games, all four games in Moncton went to overtime, and also one of them went to double overtime. So it was 27 periods in total were played in that series. An interesting bookend, too, in the queue last year because of the the Omicron breakout, the first round was 3-5. to So this was the first Game 7 in the first round in four years. And that year there were two Game 7s, one of which was Moncton winning Game 7 in Baycomo after they'd won Game 6 in Baycomo to force Game 7. This time around, Baycomo won Game 6 in Moncton, so it looked like history might repeat itself in reverse, but Moncton was able to uh, dodge that. I think you know it's a favorable matchup for Halifax. All the favorites are, are going to be favored for a reason. Mm-hmm. Halifax won 6 of 9 in the regular season against Moncton, so there's not uh, too much vulnerability there. Not sure. One story to watch there might be Cam Wynott, defenseman for Halifax, drafted by Calgary. He's been out for quite some time, and it was the line they were given during this Cape Breton series was that he was nearing return. Now, he's not their number one defenseman, but he would certainly help so he could come back which would make things even more difficult for Moncton but you know certainly Halifax uh, you know had success against Moncton in the rest of the Maritime Division and some people would argue Halifax's stature in the league might be inflated because of they played in the Maritimes 
But based on what we saw in their series in the regular season against Moncton, you'd have to say they're pretty heavy favorites in this series as well. All right. I think we're going to have a heavy favorite in each of these four series in the second round. So maybe the the, the, the question I'm going to ask about each of those favorites is, how do you beat them? Is there a weakness at all for any of these four? Or are we just going to get to the semi or the conference finals or the semifinals in the league uh, with those four teams and they'll just battle it out? But if you're looking at Halifax, is there something that that Moncton should or will try to exploit? Well, you can frustrate them because we saw that in the series against the Eagles. Obviously, the Eagles did something right to go up 3 nothing in that second game. And, you know, it, Halifax, uh, Sylvain Favreau, he, he likes to throw the lines on the blunder because Halifax had the top three scorers in the league, and they decided to put them all on the same line to finish the season. And then throughout the series, we saw them mixed up, and we also saw them uh, split up the top pairing on the blue line a furlong and more of it. So I don't know if you want to call that panic or adjusting on, on behalf of uh, Sylvain Favreau and the Mooseheads. They ultimately just have a lot of firepower, but there is a way to shut it down based on what we saw in pockets of that series against uh, Cape Breton. I would say Halifax, in terms of the gap between all the series that are being played, Moncton would be the most likely, I would say, to give Halifax trouble. So you can frustrate the, the Moosehead's offense if you play a tight defensive structure. Halifax maybe not as inclined to be comfortable playing a physical game, so I think the Wildcats would maybe have to step up the physicality as well. Jacob Steinman, the Wildcats goaltender, was great in the second half of the season. He was kind of battling for the starting job, but kind of on a pedigree thing, because Stein was a rookie free agent, and Vincent Fillion, Moncton's other goaltender, was a first-round draft pick, so maybe Fillion had the reputation, but as time went on throughout the season, it became clear Steinman was the guy, so he's certainly somebody that could steal a game or two in the series for Moncton, so that'll be a story to watch there. Then we've got Quebec taking on Ramouski, the Oceanic uh, beat Shakutami. I guess technically it's an upset. I They were separated by one point in the regular season, so not that big of a difference, but it was the road team uh, the lower seed winning that series and doing it in five games. That might be the bigger surprise. Not that they won, but that it uh, was over that quickly. Uh, however, Ramuski tough test now against uh, the Quebec Rempart. The Rempart, uh, along with Halifax, right at the top of the, uh, the standings in the Eastern Conference, um, does Ramuski have a chance here? I'd be very surprised. Uh, Quebec swept the season series 8 nothing against Ramouski this year. Although, full credit to Ramouski, though, not only did they beat Shakutami in five games, it was somewhat of a dominant five games. They stole the first game in OT on the road, and that was an interesting one because Ramouski and Shakutami played eight times in the regular season this year, and the home team won every game. Yet in the playoff, the road team won four or five. So Ramouski comes in, they win that first game double OT. You're thinking, okay, this is a close series between two teams that are pretty comparable. But then Ramouski kind of dominated the next two games. So, you know, there could be something there. The Oceanique, for whatever reason, had been a very streaky team both the last two seasons. You might remember they put out St. John in the first round of the playoffs last year. So Serge Beausoleil, I guess, has his team playoff ready. They are a bit of a bigger, heavier team, too. So that could wear down Quebec over a series. So it might be a bit of a different situation where you're playing the same team night in and night out. Although they did play back-to-back to finish the regular season. And Quebec won both of those games as well. Quebec, obviously, they second straight year. They were first in, in the regular season. They were a lot of people's favorites heading into the season. You know, tough to gauge how good the East teams are versus the West, but, you know, obviously, given how they performed in the first round, we knew that they were going to smash Charlottetown. There was no surprise there. Uh, Jacob Robiard, Charlottetown's 20-year-old goaltender, had a good second half of the season. He kept the Islanders in one or two games, but we knew Quebec was going to roll through there. Uh, you know, as I said, I think Ramuski can 
maybe trying to put a physical toll on Quebec throughout the series, but there's a lot of star power on that Ramparts team. And, you know, good rivalry between the two teams, so it would be nice if it was a close series, but I think uh, Quebec is... Uh, We'll be, we'll be looking ahead to the semifinals uh, after this series. For people who are listening to this but might not follow the queue as closely as, as obviously you do being right there, who are who are those uh, names on the uh, Remparts roster that uh, are going to jump out at, at people as they if they are able to tune in and watch these games? Who should they watch for? So Quebec is a team, you don't always see this, and just to go back to Halifax for a second, another reason why they might be a bit more vulnerable is because you'll see sometimes in junior teams – I don't want to say peak a year early, but they arrive a year early for a two-year run, and the Mooseheads are kind of along those lines where a lot of their key players are 18. Jordan Dumais led the league in scoring. He's 18. Quebec is a team that's been building for this season. And it was interesting, too, because the last in-person draft in the queue, because we had the in-person draft here, was in 2019. It's returning this year, which is great. And that draft was in Quebec City. So it's kind of neat that the Ramparts built the foundation for their team in their own backyard. But they have a lot of NHL-drafted players up front, Zachary Bullduke and Nathan Gaucher, James Malatesta, a lot of guys who are weapons out there. Their 20-year-old captain, not drafted. Theo Rochette is, is a star player as well in the queue. Dustin Robida is an offensive weapon who's great in his own end. He's a draft pick at Carolina. They have three guys on the back end that are NHL-drafted with Evan Noss, who they were able to get to come to the queue. He was originally drafted by Valdor. They couldn't get him to come, but Quebec could. And Jeremy Langlois, former Eagle, actually, drafted Arizona, and Vasavad Komarov, who's drafted by Buffalo. And maybe an unsung hero of sorts, uh, much like in Halifax, the, the goaltender Mathis Rousseau in Quebec. It's William Rousseau, who's been great for the Ramparts this year. So they're kind of a star-dotted team at every position, and they have good depth as well. So a lot of NHL-drafted guys, and, and they certainly the guys that are veterans in the league that aren't drafted are pulling their weight as well. So, but you're going to want to look for, like as I said, Malatesta, Bullduke, Robida, Gaucher up front. I think you're your kind of headline acts for a star-studded Ramparts team that is filled with 19-year-old players. I'm expecting a short series. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, there's, I guess, in the same with Halifax Moncton too. Even when there's a rivalry, maybe there's an element of, that makes it, uh, I don't want to say easier, makes it more likely that the underdog team will put up a, more of a fight. And it's also too, it's a step up for these. You know, contending teams based on what they saw in the first round. And I said, Ramuski is a big team too, so they could wear down Quebec. But ultimately, I think the the Ramparts would be heavy favorites heading into the series. All right. If there was a, a, a particularly interesting upset in the first round uh, based on seeding, it would be Drummondville taking out Victoriaville in the Battle of the Villes. Uh, but there was, uh, you know, what about twenty five points separating those two teams in the standings, and it was Drummondville that came out. The victors now, I don't know if they can continue to ride that wave against Sherbrooke because that's an awfully good team. Uh, but uh, what did you make of Drummondville having success in the first round against the Tigers? What was interesting about that is if you had told people in September that Drummondville was going to beat Victoriaville in a playoff series, everybody would have nodded and agreed. <laughs> and yet when the playoffs came around, everybody was predicting Victoriaville to beat Drummondville. So Victoriaville was a pleasant surprise this year, and Drummondville was... Not the biggest negative surprise because that would be blamed for Wabriyan, but they were a team that did underachieve and made a coaching change in November and Eric Belanger came in. Victoriaville, much like Halifax, is a team that's set up to be really good next season. So they made some moves that they thought could help them this year and next. And for whatever reason, they actually took a dip in the second round, despite adding Frederick Brunet, who was one of the top players in the queue, top defenseman in, in the second half. So it didn't work out for whatever reason, but they still do have next year to look forward to them. To the big thing, one of the big things there, Riley Mercer, who is Dawson Mercer's younger brother, 
is was excellent in the series for Drummondville, over 940 save percentage. So that'd be something to watch for. He'll certainly make life difficult for Sherbrooke, you'd have to think, in the second round. So maybe this is just a case of what Drummondville was supposed to have all along coming together. You know, Eric Belanger came in in November, so it's not like it was a magic snap your fingers, turn the Boltagers around. There was a little bit of turmoil in that organization throughout the season. But uh, for whatever reason, it came together. In, in the playoffs for Drummondville, so I'll be curious to see what they can do going forward. But a not an upset based on preseason, very much an upset based on the regular season. Well, tell me about the Sherbrooke Phoenix. Uh, they are, I guess, a lot of people would say, I, you know, I can't say that they're the top team in the queue because those four teams at the top are just so, so tight. Uh, but the, the Phoenix are, I mean, that's a really impressive roster from top to bottom. Uh, again, for the casual fan who doesn't watch the queue, uh, who should they be paying attention to? Because that, that roster is a stack. Yeah, it's absolutely loaded. And we talked about Quebec earlier. Quebec made some moves of substance, but it's really over in the West where you saw Sherbrooke and Gatineau just go absolutely bananas making trades to teams that were already really stacked. But you look at Sherbrooke, people would know Josh Waugh from the World Juniors, the Montreal draft pick. Jacob Melanson, a trivia note, first ever Seattle Kraken player in NHL history to be suspended for something that happened in the preseason that gives you an indication of the type of game he plays. He's very much a power forward that's ready to wreak havoc in the playoffs, so he's somebody you want to keep your eye on. Both the Ethan Goche along with Josh Waugh, both number one picks in the Q draft, the Goche you know, he's, he's been a very key part for this Sherbrooke team as well. He's only 17, but he's obviously already a star. A lot of NHL drafted pedigree on the back end with Marc-Andre Gaudet and David Spachek and Tyson Hines. Tyson Hines, you know, from the World Juniors, of course. Yep. Uh, Olivier Adam, they may be a little bit underrated as a 20-year-old goaltender for Sherbrooke, but this is a Sherbrooke team that's uh, deep at all positions and like like Quebec and like Gatineau, even the guys that aren't drafted are guys that can contribute, and they have veteran players at all positions. So you look at a guy like Milo Rollins, might not be a household name outside the queue, but you know, he's certainly a great player in his own end at 19 years old. And I got like Joe Fleming, they were able to get up from the United States, who's NHL signed. So it's a very star-studded team in Sherbrooke, and you know, very curious to see what they can do going forward in the playoffs. And the last series in the second round features the Gatineau Olympique against the Ron Naranda Huskies. And I, I don't know. Again, I, I'm thinking it's another short series, but maybe I'm uh, not giving the Huskies their their due because they were fourth in the uh, Western Conference. Uh, so I think of the teams getting into the second round, uh, that will be the lower seed. I think they're the best of the lower seeds. Do the Huskies have a fighting chance here? I would say they are the best of the the lower seeds. I they may it'd be tough between them and Moncton, which team would have a better chance, just because I feel like Gatineau stronger than Halifax. Gatineau was unbelievable in the second half of the season, and I mean unbelievable. They yeah. finished 23-0-1 in their last 24 games, and they only lost was to Sherbrooke. So the real shocker in the postseason was that they lost a game to St. John, which was unbelievable because they rolled over them in the other four games. You know, you look at uh, Renoranda, though, they're – you know, they're, they're a team that was very good in the second half. And I think traditionally in the queue, the last 10 or so years, they've probably been the best run organization. You know, won the league in 2016 and they won the Memorial Cup in 2019. We we're kind of waiting for them to rise up again. And they've done that again. They are really, you know, a pretty good team. But ultimately, Gatineau is, is just so strong. It's, it's going to be tough to see the Huskies make headway. Gatineau won six of seven against the Huskies during the regular season. So this is not a slight to run Miranda, you know, 
they may have, I think it was Gatineau that was number one in the CHL top 10. So Gat, Ruin Miranda may have the toughest opponent that they could draw. So, you know, it's no slight to them to say that they're heavy underdogs in the series. Gatineau is just uh, built to win now, and they certainly have a loaded club. If the four heavy favorites here in the second round all advance, they get reseeded, right? So we, we would actually see uh, Quebec and Gatineau Halifax against Sherbrooke. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. The, the, the reseeding applies, and it would be the top the teams in the East that were actually one and two, which is interesting because I feel like I think a lot of people would have Gatineau and Sherbrooke as the top two teams heading in. But you know, obviously they're all four very capable teams. But you're right there. There is that element that we get to see the conferences mixing up, which is good because it means you get the best two teams in the final. Yeah, I like that idea as well. Uh, one question about the uh, the first round that I didn't ask you, but it obviously didn't uh, seem to be a big factor. But the travel, you had Gatineau against St. John, uh, and I don't. I'm trying to think if there could be a. I guess if it was uh, Cape Breton and uh, what would be the furthest team out west, Valdor, something like that in the first round. But the the travel didn't seem to affect the, either team. I mean, I guess it's the same for both clubs. They both have to travel. But did you think it was a factor at all, that travel in the first round for Gatineau? The, you talked about the one surprise loss. Do you think it had anything to do with it? Uh, it's possible. That was the third game of the series, so it could could have been a, a, a taken by surprise after the trip to St. John. I'm not sure what the travel arrangements would have been there. I know, as strange as this is, and I think we've seen this in the WHL too, sometimes teams will actually share flights. Mm -hmm. I remember the last time uh, the Eagles played a Quebec-based team in the playoffs was 2019 in Ramouski, and the teams actually flew together right after a Sunday afternoon game to uh, to Cape Breton from Ramouski. So I don't know if uh, Gatineau and St. John had that set up. Just to give the fans an idea in the WHL, how it works out here in the queue, is it goes by distance. So most the default is that a series will go 2-2, 1-1-1. But if the two cities are a certain distance apart, it will go 2-3-2. Two, two. So the Gatineau, uh, the worst thing for Gatineau is that they didn't even get a financial benefit out of that loss for Game 3 because Game 5 was also in St. John because right. it was 2-3-2. Two, two. And also for, the, yeah, for those wondering why St. John was playing Gatineau in the first round, in the queue there's 10 teams in the Eastern Conference and 8 in the West. So what happens is it's top 8 in each conference, but if ninth in the East has more than 8th in the West, they can cross over. St. John not only crossed over, they crossed over and jumped over eighth place because they actually had more than the eighth place team. So they jumped into the seventh seed. Maybe a little bit unfortunate for, for both Gatineau and St. John that they have to pony up the extra travel expense, but that was just the way that that works. So at least they got to a bit more bang for bucket of it, I guess, with that extra game in the series. But ultimately, I don't think uh, the travel was, was too much of a factor. And you know, obviously, uh, the games uh, will, will mean more and more as, as the uh, playoffs go on. And pretty easy travel, actually, in the second round here. Uh, regionally, they're they're all fairly close to each other, aren't they? Yeah, it will be interesting. The Halifax Moncton, in particular, I, I'm not sure how closely you're following a lot of super fans on Twitter, but I know uh, some people in Moncton have been a bit vocal about the lack of attendance in, in their games there. So, But having seen Halifax play Cape Breton in the first round, the Mooseheads fans traveled decently well to center 200 and Moncton is actually a little bit closer. So I would think that that would benefit them, but yeah, it's a lot more traditional matchups, so to speak, as I said, even though it's a conference based draw, you've got Halifax and Moncton are maritime rivals, less than three hours apart. Quebec and Ramouski are very close. You're running around a, you know, they're not really close to anything per se, except for Valdor, but if they were going to have a matchup, uh, you know, playing where they're at, it's, it's not so bad. So, it's it's pretty good in terms of travel. Hopefully, that means we get a lot of uh, visiting fans. It always makes for a better atmosphere. It's not quite we're not going to quite have a Saginaw Flint type situation, but to hopefully, <laughs> uh, visiting fans make their way down to the other Burns in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, travel in the OHL, they got it easy there, don't they? 
I, you, you know what, D, it doesn't even feel like real junior hockey to me sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you look at these, all these teams playing in massive arenas and they short trips and it's just, that, that seems, seems foreign to me. But as I said, those Saginaw Flint games had a great atmosphere for sure. Patrick, this was great. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this. We'll chat again. Thanks a lot, D. Enjoy the playoffs, everybody. Patrick McNeil, the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles, longtime contributor here on the Pipeline Show. He's been one of the guys over the uh, last decade plus that I've uh, called on when it's time to talk about the the Q. Always uh, a wealth of information is uh, Patrick McNeil and calls a great game, too. If you haven't had a chance to uh, tune in, I kind of like doing that every once in a while, uh, checking out broadcast crews and uh, seeing how they sound differently, whether it's in the CHL or sometimes in the States as well. But do you agree with his picks and my picks? You can let us know on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee is where you can find me. That's going to do it for this week's episode. We've got to get out of here because the CHL playoffs, it's uh, as I'm speaking with you right now, Thursday afternoon, and the OHL playoffs round two begin tonight. So quick thank you to everyone who's been signing up at patreon.com slash the pipeline show, becoming a patron, getting early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the pipeline show. A couple of bucks a month is what that costs even less if you sign up on an annual subscription. Again, that's at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. It's playoff season and that continues next week here on the program. So get out and watch some junior hockey so that we can talk about junior hockey playoffs next week right here on the pipeline show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky and my name is Guy Flaming. See ya! <laughs>